0: Hey, we're going to start a new series this morning. If you're online, welcome. We're glad you're joining us. And uh, we're going to, uh, it's a series called Lose the Baggage, all right? And now that may sound a little weird, but I think it'll make sense as we go along. Take a look at a little mini four-week series that'll bump us up against Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and uh, Easter Sunday. So it'll lead us into that. And uh, the theme for that weekend will be, is he worthy? And uh, we're going to play off of that. So it should be really good. By the way, doesn't the backdrop look great? I was like, wow. Yeah, I, was, I walked in and said, man, a lot of good things happen when you leave. I should go more often. That's good. Well, if you remember two weeks ago, we were talking in the book of Philippians and the, uh, the, the, uh, the message was on contentment. And uh, that blew a lot of people up. And I got calls. I got emails. I had people walk in my office and just say, wow, God spoke through that. So we're going to uh, take that. You, you mentioned how impactful it was. So we're going to go a little further with that in the next couple of weeks here. And so before we do that, let's pray and just give this series to the Lord, right? For him to be at work in it, let's pray together. Lord, we seek you this morning. We came because we want to. We're online because we want to. We we don't have to. And Lord, uh, you could tell this morning, the singing, there's an appreciation, Lord, of being able to be here and being gathered together and to take you seriously. And Lord, as we come into this series, I pray that you would help me put the pieces together like I should. But I also pray that, Lord, it's something that you can open up and use in our life as we come into Easter, as we live in a crazy culture, as all kinds of pressures and currents abound and the news seems to change every five seconds. And Lord, uh, that's created a lot of anxiety. It's created a lot of stress. And we seek you that we would be able to walk through that in a redemptive way. And that we can only do that in your grace. We can only do that with your power. And so I just open this series up to you. Ask that you would do what you do well and help me do what I do well. And, and somewhere in the mix of that, we would all connect with you. That uh, we would take away a point or two from this that would really uh, stick with us. And kind of become a lifelong lesson, Lord. So we ask for this favor in your name. Amen. All right, so let's start out this morning. Here's a question for you. It's not, it's, you're not getting graded on it. All right, so relax. It's all good. But just to get you thinking and, and tr- tracking with me, if I were to ask you this morning, what does spiritual, emotional, mental health look like? All right, what does spiritual, emotional, mental health look like? Kind of combine those three. What does is, what is healthy look like? All right, now I'm not interested in, a precise technical definition of this, all right? I am not a psychologist or a doctor to be able to uh, do so with all of life's personalities and permutations that it can exist in this thing we call human, (laughs) right? We are an amazing group. And uh, there's a lot of levels and there's a lot of layers. So I'm, I'm not into a technically precise definition. What I'm interested in this morning is what's the general sense of the thing? Right? When you think of healthy, when you think of you being healthy, what does that look like? What's the target? What's the, the ballpark that you feel the Lord has you aiming at, has you leaning towards? Uh, in this series, I would like to go after some well-known targets. Uh, for those of us who've been in pursuit of Jesus for a long time, this will not be new. Uh, it'll be more of a review. Uh, if you're new to the faith, Just jump, whether you're here or online, just jump right on in. Because what you're going to find out is although the targets are new to you and you may just have started walking with Jesus, they're all the same targets. Uh, They just go a little deeper the longer you walk with them, right? And those of us who've done that know what I'm talking about. This morning, what I want to do is paint more of a picture of the target. And then next week, we'll move on to why we missed the target, right? So we'll set the target up this morning and then... Next week, we'll go into more, why do we miss that? And uh, we'll, we'll look at it that way. Uh, we just recently covered in the book of Philippians, uh, and if you remember, Paul was aiming at this. He, he put a target to it. He said, not that I've already obtained this. So if you're talking about health, you're talking about uh, obedience in the Christian life, he says, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. In other words, he hadn't hit it either, which is good news for us, right? He still had a ways to go, so do we. But he said, not only perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As we saw, Paul was continually aiming at and pressing forward to that prize of that upward call. And we said that that prize was what? The prize was Jesus himself. Jesus is his own reward. If you want one of the great secrets of the Christian life, go after Jesus. If you get Jesus, you've got all you need. And you'll find out once you get him, all the other stuff really doesn't matter that much. And so Jesus is his own reward. And then Paul added something in the Philippians. There's a lot of these really cool nuggets that kind of pop out. And you can kind of, if you're reading the book, it's a shorter book, you can kind of blow by them Quite quickly, without noticing them. If we go back to chapter 1, he says this. This is verse 9 and 11. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, Paul here is hoping for the Philippian church, but you find this all across the New Testament, right, that their love would abound, that they'd go deeper, they'd get better at loving uh, both the Lord and other people. An accurate description of love is found in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love is... Yeah, we go through that whole thing, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. Love's not easily angered. I always like that one, okay? Love does not keep a record of wrong. I've always liked that one better. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always uh, trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Uh, don't be too impressed. I've done a lot of weddings, all right? There we go. But Paul calls this the fruit of righteousness. In other words, the ability to love well like that is spiritual, emotional health. It it is the fruit of what happens with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I've said many times, this is more than just a nice list, right? This is actually... the the definition and the description of the nature of God, who He is as a person. This is what He's like. If you want to know what God's like, this is what He's like. We can do something with that list. You can put Jesus' name in that list, and it reads like this. Watch the personality that comes out of this. Jesus is patient. Anybody in here He's been patient with? Right? Jesus is kind. Anybody He's been kind to? You don't have to get very far in the list and you start going, oh yeah, that's really true. That's what he's like, okay? He doesn't envy, he does not boast, he's not proud, he's not rude, and he's not self-seeking. You know, if there was anybody that could strut their stuff and blow their horn, wouldn't it be God? And yet it says he doesn't do that. It really what this is saying is he's humble. It's a, quite, a, quite a picture He's not easily angered. Doesn't say he doesn't get angry. It says he's not easily angered. Doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Boy, if anybody could keep score, wouldn't it be God? Right? Would you want to be tacked like that? No, I wouldn't. Jesus doesn't delight in evil, but he rejoices in the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Absorb that person absorb that personality when you come to church when you're online watching that's the person we worship that's the person that we're responding to that's what he's like you know this is true in the old testament too a lot of people the real popular thought is that uh, the god of the old testament is a warmonger the god of the new testament is a god of love we want nothing to do with the old testament i want to suggest to you the god is the same god of both testaments all right Uh, God describes himself this way to Moses, his friend. Moses says, I want to see you. He says, well, you can't really do that. The problem is you'll die if you see me. So let me do this. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock, right? That famous song, I'll hide, hide my soul in the cleft of the rock. That came from this incident with Moses. And God tucks him in there and then he walks by and he proclaims who he is. And what he proclaimed was this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. That means... Yes, even if you are dead wrong with 15 million layers of sin, you can come to Him and He will be gracious to you. Show me a deal where that's true anywhere else. Gracious, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's a pretty amazing person but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. A lot of people don't like that second half. Why don't they like that second half? They don't like the second half because they like the first half. I get away with it. They don't like the second half that says, I'm going to hold you accountable. God is not just the God of love. He's also a God of justice. That's why you've got to come under his terms through his son for forgiveness and eternal life because otherwise you come under the justice side. And that's actually quite frightening. One of the things that Paul's emphasizing, though, here in both the, in Philippians and then that passage in Genesis, or Exodus that um, we just read, is that uh, this is a picture of God, but it's not just the picture of Him, that God is solid as a person. He's whole. When we say that God is holy, we mean that He is uh, whole he is healthy, he is balanced. As a matter of fact, God is the most balanced person and personality in the universe. And so when we say that he's holy, we're we're saying that he's whole. James tells us in his epistle, not James Lon, James the one who wrote the epistle, okay? Uh, James tells us that he's the father in lights in whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Uh, So what he's saying, James is highlighting another side, there's no impurity in him. There's no sin in him, in his nature. And that's why so many people are attracted to Jesus when they actually take a look at him. Most people rail against him till they read the Gospels. And when they read the Gospel, they go, Huh, that is an amazing person. There's something to this story. And, and that's what we're talking about here is that um, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is actually an exact representation, a mirror image of the Father. Hebrews 1 and, 1 and 2 says this He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Just like we all have unique fingerprints, Jesus is the fingerprint of God, He's the exact imprint. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Skip, stop that for a second. Don't just skip by that. What that means this morning as we sit here right now on these chairs and this floor and this roof and this ceiling and this planet and the water and the sun and the solar system and the universe, he's holding the whole thing together by the word of his power. Wow. Amen? Right? Right now, as we're here, he's holding the whole thing together. Is that worthy of praise? That's worthy of praise. That's why you start singing when you see him because it just blows you away. It says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior, far greater, bigger than anything you can imagine, to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Paul's saying that when he talks in Philippians 1 there, he calls that the fruit of righteousness Here's the key phrase, that fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. Now, I know we know that, okay? But it's always good to be reminded of things we know, right? That fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. He's talking about the wholeness or the healthiness of God's character coming through. He's talking about the nature that's found in Jesus gets imparted to us. In other words, this fruit that we're talking about emanates from him. And this emanating process is the person we call the Holy Spirit, right? Who we don't appreciate enough, who we often write off as goofy or different or weird because of all the wrong things that have happened in and of his name. And nothing is further from the truth. He also is healthy and balanced and worth being around and worth liking. And the fruit he gives is really good fruit. Like he helps us be patient. Can anybody use that? Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. So he gives us this gift of grace. And Paul, as he talks about so often, that we too, here's another key concept, that then because of that gift of grace, we're conformed to his image. That means we become like him. Doesn't mean we all become cookie cutters. Doesn't all mean we're exactly the same. Means we all have wildly different personalities, but we have the same fruit inside. And so it manifests itself very much like the facets on a diamond. Everyone shines a little bit differently, and we all shine a little bit differently as we are being conformed into his image. We can be like him. So the longer and the farther we walk with Jesus, the more we should look like, and here's a key one, react like him. Right? Now instantly there'll be guilt because we know we don't always react well under pressure, but stop that for a minute. We should become like him. That's the goal, Right? And we should uh, recognize that. We should mirror Jesus just like Jesus mirrors the Father. So as Jesus mirrored the Father, now we should mirror Jesus. He should; the, His grace should allow us to do that. Now, obviously, this is a process. Um, and so what does that process look like? Here's a a diagram that uh, Pastor Jan uses in his book, The Safe King, and it's really helpful. It really helps you understand. This is your life. Uh, Your circle is your life, and the Holy Spirit comes into the center of your life. We say, Jesus came into my heart, right? And uh, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he begins to agitate. In World War II, they would pound the beaches and soften the beaches up so that a foothold on those beaches could be uh, held. And very similar like that, the Holy Spirit becomes and starts the renovation process. And he starts agitating. You ever have him agitate? Don't do that anymore. You've got to start doing this. Da 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 da, right? Oh, we cooperate so well. Right? And he starts pushing out. Now, some areas, he does really good, really fast, right? You're like, woo hoo hoo, I'm godly. And then you look at some others, oh, not so much. <laughs> I, wow. Ooh, I'm not. Boy, that's hard that's a booger for me, man, that's, wow, how come I don't seem to get very far in that one, and right, it's really hard to lean in, and you can pick which ones you want there, and you can add a couple if you want, and you can decide how far you've gotten, but this picture really helps us understand, and that's why new believers are so infuriating to us, okay, because they kind of just go, right, and it's the process, the it's immediate, it's like this big explosion, and they're, hoo Jesus, and they're like, wow, and, Whoa, and this, and the Bible, Whoa, and you're like, oh, you're really ticking me off. C- I don't have that kind of joy. Boy, you're bugging me, right? Well, that's because it's the first love, it's the first blush, it's the honeymoon, right? They haven't had to walk for a while yet, like us. And when they walk, and we walk, we run all into kind of the same thing, Right? Those of us who've been at this for a while realize it's not a straight-line process. Any of you, when you start out, thought it'd just be A, B, C, to D, and I'm in? Got it. Boom, godly. Thank you, God. How can I help? Right? (laughs) And it doesn't go like that. There's interruptions. There's hiccups. There's roadblocks. There's walls to obtaining emotional and spiritual health. It's not as easy to become like Christ as we thought. And here's the problem with spiritual fruit. If you think about fruit, worms like to feed on it. Here's another diagram from Pastor Jan's book, The Safe King. And uh, you can see the fruit of righteousness here. That's the list found in Galatians uh, chapter five. And uh, for the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, they are opposed or in conflict with each other so that you cannot do what you want. In other words, there's a war going on inside. And here's the fruit and you can see the things that are chewing on it from the outside. I think every one of us here will recognize those. For sure, two or three are going to stand out to you. Your particular worm that makes your fruit not so tasty. Right? You ever have a really nice apple, you come on, you want to bite it and there's a hole. And you go, hmm, why is there a hole there? There's something in there. Do I want to bite this thing? No, Right? So then you cut it up, right, and you find it. After you find it, do you want to eat that? No, right? That's kind of how this is worse. So we we find the desire to become conformed to the image of Christ marred. Or as the diagram would insinuate, it's getting chewed on, right? It's it's getting ugly. And we all know what this feels like. We don't want to act badly, but when pressure's on us, we do. The transformation process is, is, is slowed. It, it gets halted by both our sin and the sin of other people. Right? Some of us whack other people, and some of us other people have whacked us. And in some cases, it's happened both. And so what happens is um, we pick up baggage along the way. Uh, begins to weigh us down. It, it impedes our progress. And, and so this is where counseling comes in. Right. If, if you think about it, this is why we seek counseling. Counseling, either by a specialist, a pastor, a mentor, a church, a group, uh, we we is designed to help us get over the hurdles of what stopped me or what slowed me from becoming like Jesus, becoming like Christ. If you go through that span, uh, I was going to pick on us fifties uh, to sixties group. And then uh, I was talking to Lisa and she says, you know, actually all the groups run into counseling. Uh, oh, okay, I got to broaden this out a little bit. So counseling takes on different flavors depending on your age bracket. Uh, if you start out, you start with the teens, right, the teen years, how do I get started? Right? And some teens get blown up before they even get started. Some get blown up as children, right? And they hide that and they stuff that and they're trying to make it through. It's, it's life and grades and who am I and who is Jesus and what am I supposed to do when I grow up and... Man, that seems overwhelming sometimes. And then if you make it to the teens, it's the 20s. The 20s is all about how do I get momentum, right? I want to move, right? Remember when you were 20? I want to move. I want to move. I want to get something done. And so uh, career, marriage, family, finances, house, church, all that kind of stuff. How do I I get momentum in this process? 30s and 40s. How do I keep all of the above going? (laughs) Wow, man! What I used to play a lot. What happened? You know, remember the days when a whole afternoon lasted forever? What happened to that? You know, like days go. bam, right. And so, thirties and forties uh, overwhelmed with life, schedules, responsibilities, bills, children, career pressure, parents. Oh, right, right. That starts coming in. Your parents start getting older. Wow, well, that's weird. That's a different era. 50s, can I keep all of this going? Man, I'm tired. I got how many more years yet to retirement? I'm not going to make it. Why? Because greater workload, greater pressure, greater responsibilities, along with teenagers. And then things like weddings start popping up, right? And funerals and house and grandkids and retirement. And like, wow, that is a lot of plates to keep in the air. 60s, are we going to make it? Same stuff, career, retirement, health, stamina, reflection, parents. Uh, you, like, wow, this is hard. Uh, Pam and I are at the place where both sets of our parents have passed. They've died. They're gone. And all of a sudden, the pillars aren't there anymore. And guess what? You're the pillar. Whoa. that's what, I remember waking up at 50 years old, looking in the mirror and going, Oh, my God, I'm my uncle's. You remember when you were a kid and you looked at your uncles in their 50s and go, wow, they are ancient, right? And I looked in the mirror and went, I've become my dad. Oh my gosh, right? Like, this is frightening. Like, I, I had to pray. I was like freaking out, right? Any of the rest of you hit that, right? Like, oh my goodness. And then 70s, really, a whole nother era. 70s, the, the, this whole thing is, it's not going to keep going. It suddenly dawns on you that this is going to end you can see it, you can feel it, you can taste it, you you can sense that it's starting to close in, right? And this is all about the death of a spouse, friends and family, living situation, loss of control, loss of faculties, right? Hearing, seeing, physical ability, can't get around like you used to. And each of these eras, anybody identify those? Right, yeah. Each of these eras are defined by several other significant issues that come up. Uh, they would be these. Am I able to keep Jesus first through this whole thing? Right? Am I able to keep him first? Any of you wrestled with that? Like, one error is easier than the other. One error, you just walk with God. Man, it was great. And you hit, hit the next error, and like, somebody blew the doors off. Like, what happened? Lost your rhythm, lost your place. You made a move, a career change, whatever. uh Right? whoa. Uh, second one, what, what is God's call on my life? As you go through each of these, what, what, what's my purpose supposed to be, right? What, what am I supposed to be accomplishing for Him? Uh, that can be lost sometimes in all the turbulence and trauma of those different eras. Number three, am I operating in grace? Or am I just following, punching out, you know, checking off the list I'm I'm doing the thing because I'm supposed to, or am I actually finding myself operating in grace in each of these different eras that, that I'm going through? And then lastly, the fourth question would be this one. Am I safe and healthy for God, for myself, for my family, and for others around me? Am I healthy? Am I operating in a safe way? Now, while I've got you thinking on those levels, I know I can, I can feel the gears turning, all right? That's okay. Here's the question. What goes wrong? What goes wrong in this process of loving Jesus? All of us want to be emotionally and spiritually ha- healthy. Why doesn't it happen? Let me give you two illustrations that might be helpful, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 gives us this word picture, and you're familiar with it if you've known the scripture for any length of time. But if it's new to you, turn to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 and, and look at it for the first time and check it out because it's a powerful passage. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and I know I'm skipping off of ESV and NIV and NASB. The, I've got my translations all confused, all right? Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, or NIV would say so easily entangles, right? and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. In other words, we are to keep our eyes on Him no matter what era we're in. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. These verses tell us that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the architect of it. He's the one who envisioned a better future for you and a future with him. And so he's designed it. And so Jesus chose to lean into some very difficult things for a very good result. He thought you were worth it. That's incredible, isn't it? That's incredible. He thought you were worth it. He thought I was worth it. Wow. Paul tells us in Philippians that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling before this God. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, it's not just the task to get knocked out. There's joy in it. And we'll be looking at that. This passage says we are to lay aside every weight, i.e. you could say baggage here, and the sin which clings so closely, or again, NIV so easily entangles. And I've in the past used the illustration of blackberry bushes in the Northwest. Have you ever gone and hiking in the Northwest and tried to cut across trail and get caught by blackberries, right? They are nasty. Tried to crawl under them. or they st- all, right? It's like they grab you. And then the harder you fight, the more they entangle you. Now that's one uh, picture that's really good for being entangled. Sin can snag us. Sin has a way of doing that. Uh, I, never, I discovered another picture this week down in Arizona. Um, I was told about a cactus down there that I'd never heard about before. You may have heard of it. It's called a chola cactus, right? And a chola cactus is this really weird-looking cactus that grows up, and it's just got all these round things, and then spikes grow out of it and kind of stuff. But the thing about a chola cactus, they call it a jumping cactus, and the reason they call it jumping cactus is because if you so much bump the bush or tree, these those little knobs and things fall off and then they stick to you, right? So if an animal's walking by, they hit it, it'll fall on the animal's fur and then the animal goes around and then it drops off later and then it, that's how the cactus gets spread. But the thing is, they, they call it a jumping cactus for a reason, is if you, for example, have a static charge, right? You ever had a static charge and walked up and touched the door and whap, you got nailed? If you have a static charge on you you get close to it, they will pull right off the cactus and jump on you, right? Onto your arms. So, like, you have to go seek medical attention kind of thing. I'm looking at that going, wow, get me out of here. Like, that's <laughs> nasty, right? And uh, th- this, this cactus... Um, It's just a great depiction of sin. You ever have sin just jump out and nail you? Right? It was like it was sitting there waiting till you bumped it. And just the slightest bump and wham! Right? And you could feel the sting of death in that thing. That, that's one of the uh, a great picture that is. Uh, but that's more a picture of sin and, and how it attracts us in the moment. What does the process of sin look like? I want to talk about the process of sin a little bit this morning. Let me uh, give two other illustrations. Here's a picture of a boat and uh, this is not a good illustration because this is a boat with barnacles but all the barnacles are on the top part of the boat because it sat out in the weather and this is where they built up on it but uh, we couldn't get Pictures of boats with barnacles on the bottom, because they are all licensed and that kind of stuff, but if we're familiar with this, we're in the Northwest, we live near saltwater, so we know what it looks like, right? Go down to the Edmonds Pier, go down the Muckleshoot pier, go down whatever. You see barnacles coated to everything, rocks and piers. And if you've ever seen some of the ships down there, or some of the boats are like in the, uh, the harbors where you know a boat will sit for 10 years, there's this massive load of barnacles that load up on the bottom of the ship. So much so that it's almost impossible for the ship to sail. And it can become so bad that in even a little rough water, the ship loses its balance and will go down and sink, right? And so this buildup of barnacles uh, can really impede the ability of a boat to sail. And, and like I said, if not taken care of, it can actually cause the boat to sink. And, and so it's, it's true of sin, if left unattended, right, you've got some little area you play with, you've got some little area you indulge in, you've got something that uh, you know the Lord's talked to you, but you've just ignored the heatings. If left unattended, ignored over the years, it can really bog down the sanctification process. Instead of you controlling it, it now controls you. And as a result, then, we hardly move spiritually. When we get all barnacled up with our sins and the sins of others, we can't sail through life anymore. And when pressure and problems hit us, then we tend to sink instead of sail. Second illustration is I, I brought my backpack this morning. Barnacles is one picture. Backpack, most of us know this. This is my old Kelty pack. I've had this for a long time. Right? You put this on, and uh, it's designed for what? To carry, and I just took my sound poop out there. There we go. I'm back. All right? it's to carry weight, right? You've got a waste pack and this kind of stuff. And a, a guy in ministry gave me a great illustration uh, about this. He said, uh, you know, doing ministry, and I would just use the illustration of life period, it's very much like putting a backpack on. And then as you go through life, you are going through life, you step on it. My buddy Steve would take a brick and he would grab that brick and he put that in my pack. No, that's not a big deal because I'm young and strong and, right, I can carry a brick. And then I walk over and my buddy John and he puts a, a brick in and then I walk over to my buddy Brian and he puts a brick in, right? Well, if it takes me a couple years to go through the audience, eventually by the end of 40 years, I'm carrying a lot of bricks. I'm carrying a lot of weight. And that's why you find a lot of people, when they take a sabbatical, they come back, and I'm totally unplugged, Dave, that was not supposed to happen. What? Let me get back. Oh. Hey, Dave. <laughs> Here we go. I have no idea how that's supposed to work. All right, you'll have to deal with me. But but that's why a lot of people come back from a sabbatical, they don't they don't want to pick the backpack up again cuz they didn't realize how heavy that thing was till they took it off. And they take a month or two or three and then they come back and they go, "Oh, my gosh, that's hard work." And and sin can be like that where we just get loaded up. Right? These are illustrations and they're really great pictures of how sin entangles and burdens us, bogs us down in our journey through the Christian life. Um, Another way to look at it would be through baggage. Oh, do you got that, Rob? That would be great. You want to take that back to Dave and let the master fix it? Awesome, thank you. There we go. Give Rob a hand. Thank you, Dave awesome another another picture illustration would be baggage uh i mentioned pam and i just went down to arizona and uh, we we had a baggage that we were taking with us and we brought our golf clubs along pretended that we could golf it was great fun and um you know what you find out is that uh there's there's rules to how much baggage you can bring and uh, big, unorthodox items have to go through the big and unorthodox line. And you can only carry one bag on the plane. And, um, and one thing that I noticed on this trip is how much harder it is to carry that stuff around. What would normally be a very short, enjoyable walk uh, suddenly becomes this difficult obstacle course that you need to navigate. Right? I'm carrying two golf bags and, and a pack of my thing and trying to make my way through the airport. That's not that simple. It's actually hard work. There's weight in those bags. And so it's just like that in us as well. If we try to lug our luggage of sin around uh, with us through life, uh, sin causes us to carry weight that we were never meant to carry. And when we do, we get worn out, we get tired. This incidentally, by the way, is what freedom in Christ is all about, that the load of sin is dropped at the cross. That is the wonderful, wonderful freeing statement that all of us have responded to. I don't have to carry that backpack anymore, right? Pilgrim's Progress. You get to the cross, the load falls off. But the problem is, we can get re-snagged, right? We can get retangled. We can get reburdened by it. And when this happens, there's two things that tend to go out the window very quickly that we should always be monitoring, and that is joy do i have joy and the second one is gratefulness where is my gratefulness if i'm losing joy and i'm losing gratefulness i'm carrying some weight that i shouldn't be carrying next three three weeks we're going to look at some very basic very basic but i believe very helpful things that will help us unsnag from those things that would want to entangle us and we're going to look at the things that cripple us and stunt us spiritually and emotionally and we're going to give practical ways to step forwards uh, with health and balance, both spiritually and emotionally. And we're going to encourage the pursuit of God, that we keep going, that we not stop just because we've run into some of these things. You've got to make your way through it. And so we're going to encourage that as well. Look at First Timothy here. We'll, we'll close with this. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's a young disciple. Paul is the old wise mentor, and he says this to Timothy. Hey, son, As you're going to try and follow my footsteps, let me encourage you in a couple things. He says, take pains with the things I've taught you. Look at the things I've laid out for you, the things you've seen in me. He says, be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. I thought you'd like to see it also in the ESV, see them side by side. ESV says this, practice these things, right? Uh, NASB says, uh, take pains with these things, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress, and keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. NASB says, persevere, persist, hang in there. Endurance, they're all kindred cousin words. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers, right? So here's your assignment this week. When, when you go together, if you'll do this with me, uh, what does spiritual health look like? And where are you in the process? Think about that this week as you're reading, as you think through. Are you where you want to be? Are you where the Lord wants you to be? And we'll wrestle with this together and, and uh, take some further looks at it. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, I know that you're speaking because I can tell by the silence of the hearts that uh, you are touching points. That's really good, one, because you're gentle, and two, because you're kind. As we think about this this week and we wrestle with it, Lord, what is health with you? That's going to be unique to each person. Although there's a universal standard for it, which is you, how it plays out is going to be different for each of us because we're different personalities. And so what's easy for me is going to be hard for someone else, and what's easy for someone else is going to be really hard for me. And Lord, we uh, have great confidence that you can navigate all those differences. You already have. You've taken that into account long before we ever showed up. But we seek you for this as we go through the week, that we would be thinking about what does emotional health look like? What is, how does one keep their joy? How does one keep their gratefulness through this grinder of a thing we call life? And Lord, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit this week most balanced person in the universe. Help us, think it through, remind us, bring us to other places in scripture, bring us to other illustrations, uh, help us through tender spots, and we give that to you with great hope and ask this in your name, amen.